0: <laughs> Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Forgecast. My name's Sam Towns. And I'm Alex Norton.
1: Before we get into today's episode, let's take a moment to thank our sponsor. The Forgecast today comes to you thanks to our friend Robert Weber Abrasives, where Sam and I go for all of our abrasive needs. Whether you're looking for Norton Blaze belts, Cubitrons, Cork Polishing belts, or epic third needle files, give Rob a ring or visit him at abrasives.on.net and tell him the Forgecast sent you.
0: Yeah, so uh, how about we start with you this week? What have you been up to? Just for a change. Yeah, just for change, because you keep beating me to it. Yeah. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I've been um, just going through my uh, large backlog of orders, um, and I'm on the last one now before moving to my waiting list. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but the last one is um, the custom mushrooming knife for Niels Vandenberg. Mm. Um and I am uh, after painstakingly getting the mechanism just right because I know he's gonna like I, I can't I can't mess that up. It's going to Neil Vandenberg. of course. Cool. Like if the button press pressure wasn't right or the there was pl- slop in the the lock up or something like that, he'd notice. <laughs> yes, he will. And he's he's gonna notice anyway because I'm not on the same level as. Niels Frickin bandenberg so (laughs) but but i want to do the best that i can do it wouldn't it would not be right to send um, a knife to my most inspirational knife maker um, and not to be the best that i can possibly do but the mechanism is i can safely say now done um the part i'm working on now is the actual handle scales for it Um, Mm -hmm. and they are going to be just as complex as the mechanism. (laughs) Each each scale is made up of four pieces. It's uh, brass liners, uh, delrin top and bottom, and um, spalted sassafras in the middle, Mm -hmm. locally sourced spalted sassafras, so that he gets a taste of Tasmania um, when he gets it. So um, doing uh, handle scales that... um, with that many pieces. I actually am using a trick that was told to me by one of my, um, past inspiration of the weeks, actually, um, Sam Olegi at big iron knives. Um, yeah. he showed me a jig that he uses t- to, uh, ensure success in his multi-part handle glue ups. And they allow you to apply, um, clamp pressure in three axes at once. Mm. Mm-hmm. Um, and, boy it, it worked a treat it really did um, it was a pain to set up but worth it I think because uh, the result was really good so uh, I've done one of the scales now and now I'm <laughs> going to go through that whole process because the actual the setup and takedown of this of Sam's setup uh, Sam Olegi's setup um, necessitates uh, wrapping everything in, in packing tape mm. uh, to protect from the resin um, and so you basically destroy that layer when you pull it apart and i've got to do the whole thing again now i just haven't had I've had the time to do that so uh, then i've got to ensure that the trick with me with as i've complained about my drill press in the past i need to drill perfectly straight holes for all of mm-hmm. the pins um in these handle scales and not stuff it up because then i'll have to start all over again and i don't have that much delrin so <laughs> um after that i started planning my next youtube video which was actually um i think because of the forge cast i've had a few people messaging me they've heard me say somewhere and i apologize if my memory is so bad that it was on a recent episode of the forge cast and i don't remember but um somebody um must have heard me say it and now i've had three different people message me saying that i need to do a video on wind chimes making wind chimes. yeah you did you did mention it in a recent episode was it okay Yep. i have a strange obsession with uh, seemingly innocuous things that have actual <laughs> um ridiculous amount of complica- complication behind them like scissors mm. as we've talked about um and chairs uh and wind chimes are one of those things so i uh, i um i've had people Say that. So I've been stocking up uh, the right materials and everything. I'm going to do a video on how to make wind chimes work well because it is a metalwork project. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and it's metalwork that uh, is sort of bordering on um, just uh, pure art rather than function. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Um, and so I've also been uh, planning for a uh, to do a bloomery smelt in the sometime in the future. There's actually a lot of planning involved in doing one of these things. So I'm, I'm making sure that I have every single one of my ducks in a row. I'm not leaving anything to chance with this. And so mm. a, lot, a lot of research and a lot of planning. Um, and as I was saying to Sam just off air before we did the show, I, I'm very familiar with all of the steps required to do a bloomery smelt But when it comes to amounts, values, times, weights, all that sort of thing, that, that's a leading to a lot of research for me so i'm 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 looking into it (laughs) yes but i understand got
0: to understand that why
1: yeah it's that's that's how i operate as you all know so um that that's basically going to be i'd say probably a couple of months of planning before this becomes a reality but it's going to be live streamed it's going to have a video go with it um and it's going to involve um, past students of mine or current students Um, but I only want people that have gotten to a certain level in my classes to be there because I need everybody to have an assumed amount of knowledge. (laughs) Um, and finally, the most exciting thing that happened for me this week was I finally got off my butt and built a, or, or almost finished building a treadle hammer. By the time this episode goes out, it will be finished. Um. And I'd been planning to build an inline treadle hammer um, in the same style as like uh, John Switzer at Black Bear Forge for ages uh, because they're so much more functional when you have an inline one. It was going to be all steel construction and everything. Um, And I've been slowly building up to do that, but trying to find the time to Mm. actually invest in building one of those things and doing it right has proven difficult. Uh, And then I had one of those moments of clarity where I realized that making a quick, simple, dodgy, shitty Treadle Hammer and having one is so much better than having no Treadle Hammer and just a pipe dream.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yes, having the tool, even a, a bad version of that tool is better than not having the tool at all
1: that's right so i slapped one together um that's really really rough um and as of recording this it's not done yet it's a two-day build um and i have not been feeling particularly well so i've been sort of moving at a, a leisurely pace let's say uh, could have been a one-day build but I, I i'm splitting it over two days i'm taking a weekend for it um and building this thing and it's uh so far it's working pretty good i have to say I, Even without the anvil in place yet, and with just a bit of rope instead of a chain for the pulley, um, it actually was quite happily touch marking uh, cold mild steel. Mm. Um, So it's yeah, it's, it's it it hits with more force than I expected it to. I was really, I mean, that sort of swing treadle hammer is not really meant to be a powerhouse. It's not meant to be used for you know drawing out and that sort of thing. It's more just a third hand. Mm, It's it's having a striker that knows exactly where, when, and how hard to strike.
0: Yeah, and it saves wear on your arms.
1: (laughs) Yeah, that's right. So it's it's actually got a 16-pound head in it um, and a meter-long arm. So it's got a fair amount of force, but not much more than I would actually be able to uh, generate swinging like a three-pound hammer myself. Yeah. Um, So really that that's perfect for what i want it for it's just basically to operate top tools mm. um that, that's all so I'm, I'm glad to have it and um you will be seeing it in in lots of instagram posts and youtube videos i'm sure <laughs> so yeah my song of the week um i was actually scolded after the last episode where i said that people were spared having to have a, a track from the Grease soundtrack <laughs> uh, I made that joke, and people were like, How dare you? The Grease soundtrack is amazing. Um, and so they wanted to know what my song was going to be. Mm. Um, particularly, Jake, who manages our SoundCloud, uh, not SoundCloud, is it SoundCloud? Spotify. No, Spotify. Spotify thing. It, he, he was particularly offended by the no. fact <laughs> that I skipped over the Grease soundtrack. And I have actually been listening to the Grease soundtrack still for another week. It's just, <laughs> I just love that soundtrack. Yeah, um, but my song of the week is actually "Born to Hand Jive." It's actually uh, by a band called Shanana, Shanana. who um, were playing at the the high school dance. Uh, really, really good song, and uh, <laughs> it uh, just makes you want to actually do the hand jive, which is a real dance, by the way. It is so, uh, and very confusing to try. It's like trying to do the macarena, <laughs> <laughs> just a little, yeah. <laughs> so, uh, how about you, Sam?
0: Oh, well, yeah, I was trying to work out before the show what exactly I've done this week because I feel like I've accomplished, like, <laughs> absolutely nothing. Um, I cleaned out my workshop. Uh, I'm not sure if I did that before we recorded last week's episode. <laughs> 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 um, so, yeah, there's, there's something that I accomplished maybe this week. I can't remember. I honestly forgot that it was Saturday today, even though I live-streamed this morning. Yeah, well, I was I, even there. I, I was, was <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no. I was, I was sitting down with my wife, and I was just kind of like, "It's Saturday, right?" And she's like, "You live streamed this morning." I'm like, "Did I? Wasn't that yesterday?" I feel like I'm, you know, getting old before my ears. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I honestly feel like I haven't done much. I'm trying to rack my brains. Uh. But all I basically did was clean the shop and then um, put together guillotine tools. Um, yeah. <laughs> Uh, yeah, yeah. I made a video uh, putting together the Mark II guillotine tool, which is the the one that we uh, developed, Alex and I developed together. Uh, improved uh, with tab technology. Yeah, the Towns slash
1: Norton guillotine tool.
0: Yeah, yeah. No, it's the Towns guillotine tool because you know only I sell them
1: <laughs> for now. <laughs> if, I,
0: if I put your if I put your name on them, then I have to you know give you royalties.
1: <laughs> You need. I, I was. I was looking at the video and I'm thinking. You know, this is really cool. I love the new tabs and all that sort of thing. But your touch mark isn't on them anywhere. Nope. Like you should put it on the base or something. Just like in one one corner. Just yeah. so it's, it's such a nice touch mark. It'd be a classy addition. Yeah,
0: I thought about it, but then I didn't want to do all the touch marking cold because I don't want to break my touch mark.
1: No, it's just do it on the base. <coughs> it's just mild. Still get your get that fancy new oxy torch of yours.
0: Yeah, that's true. You could
1: do that yeah it'd be a classy classy addition, I think,
0: yeah, then I'd have to take credit for everyone else's welding <laughs> 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 yeah, yeah, but uh oh, it's hard enough taking credit for my own welding
1: <laughs> I just try and avoid any reference to my welding. It's like that no, yeah. I wasn't it was me me the amount
0: of the amount of people asked me like how to put them together and how they were used, and I'm like, oh damn, I'm gonna have to build one on camera and I <laughs> <laughs> i've already done this once
1: uh, i'm i'm getting a new mig welder soon i'm looking forward to that Ooh, mig welder nice. yeah yeah well i got my oxyacetylene torch i think i got
0: that before last episode um that i've been really happy in playing around with occasionally i'm trying not to play around with it too much because i don't want to waste all the oxygen <laughs> <laughs> i'm, just, I'm just sitting there burning stuff for fun and then i go wait I gotta pay for this gas if I run out. <laughs> uh, it's not like it's not like the old oxy torch that I used to use at school. I never had to pay for. It. Um, but no, it's great. It's great having it in the shop, and um, yeah, I'm really happy to have it. My dad dropped off a whole bunch of power tools this morning uh, that he got free from a client of his. A couple new angle grinders and a sanding, uh, like an orbital sander, vibratory sander. Nice.
1: Yeah. yeah, you just the, pick them up. they have been sitting in a shed for like five years. The more into metal working you get, the more you start realizing there's no such thing as too many angle grinders. Oh, that's it. I
0: mean, now at least I'll be able to have one angle grinder with a cutting disc, one angle grinder with a grinding disc, one angle grinder with a uh, cut brush. Yep, and a con- yeah, and I, I won't have to. Yeah, that's <laughs> Welding. Won't have to. I won't have to constantly be changing discs mm-hmm. on one grinder. Um, and they're all really good quality stuff like Metabo and, um, you know, the old school quality tools like Ryobi. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> the best, the best, which is Ryobi of course, but the I already had one of tool those. Brand out yeah. There. Yeah. That's yep. it. Oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, no. Um, no. So yeah, other than that, um, hey, we're,
1: we're blacksmiths. We fan flames for a living. We do, we do. We are
0: we are forge blowers incarnate.
1: That's it. Uh, <laughs> blow um, something.
0: <laughs> oh, mate, yeah, full of hot air. Um, yeah, I'd, uh, otherwise, I've been practicing engraving a little bit, um, practicing cool. b- making gravers. I've been asked by a couple of people, including one of my patrons, to do a video on how I make gravers and how I use them. Nice. Uh, basically like an intro course kind of thing. Uh, so that's a video I'm going to be giving it and putting out in the next couple of weeks. Um, I like the idea cause it's hard to find hammer and chisel engraving how to videos on YouTube without digging, you know, like digging through thousands and thousands of videos of like, uh, pneumatic engravers and or staring like at videos of Uri Tookman going, how the hell this yeah. is this even real? <laughs> yeah. Well, that's true, yeah. I mean, Uri, uh, Uri's done some pretty good stuff, but um, his style's a little different to my style, so, you know, we'll, I'll put my own little spin on it. Cool. Uh, but, yeah, so, <clears throat> other than that, not much. <laughs> uh, that sounds my, like a decent amount, though. Yeah. My song of the week... Um, it's another one, it's it's from uh, Thomas Sanders again, but it's uh, not him that sang it, it's on his album. It's by a uh, young lad named Terrence Williams Jr., and it's called Birds. Um, and I, I came across it in one of the, uh, I occasionally listen to like the Daily Mix on Spotify, the, you know, kind of random playlist that Spotify puts together for you. Um... And I came across this one, and I didn't even know it was off Thomas Sanders, but you know, I, I really enjoyed it. It's a very chill kind of song. Uh, it's basically an excerpt from a uh, from a play from a from a theater performance, um, and it's just about a, a guy who wants to sit in the park, chill out, and watch the birds, and you know, tell everyone to fuck off. Hmm. <laughs> which is somehow what I feel like most days at the moment. Yeah, that's,
1: that's definitely... I just want to comment on that and say mood.
0: Yeah, yeah, pretty much. Um, <laughs> it, it's got some really cool lyricism in it, I, you know, like some really nice lines that I really like, and the whole tone of it's just very chill, so uh, it's one that I keep finding myself going back to in the morning. Hmm. So, yeah, I want to add that to the playlist. Very cool. Uh, so, uh, talking about us, you know, being forge blowers incarnate, we, uh, might need to gate that, you know, air flow.
1: Maybe, but before we do that, we've got other <laughs> sections of the, sh- of the show. Oh uh, we well, to you know, we can skip week.
0: those, can't we? Because that was a really good segue. <laughs> 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 all right, everybody, uh,
1: pretend you didn't hear that and we'll uh, go back fine. to it later. <laughs> Oh, uh, he's got to rain on my parade every time. Yeah, pissing your Cheerios. Right. Shall
0: we do uh, listener emails first?
1: Yeah, sure. Um, we have a few actually, but um, first I'm going to go through because we've got three people wanting to tell us their dream projects. So mm. I'll go into those first. The first one is someone we're both familiar with. It's Andy from Thirteen Hammers. Yeah, Andy from andy. scotland <laughs> all right he says hi guys it's andy from 13 hammers my dream project he's we're not going to listen to the show after hearing that yeah probably not <laughs> my dream project would have to be a fully functional scottish claymore because i'm scottish and being a mcgregor it's part of my family's past keep up the good work andy It'd be a mammoth project, but it would be mm. so cool to do. Yes, I'm. I'm not gonna go sword nerd on that. I promise. <laughs> <laughs> Sam will be giving scrutinous looks at your project. Oh, no, I'm, I'm about.
0: I'm. I'm about to be. You know, I've got that temptation to be the will actually kind of person, <laughs> uh, but I'm not gonna do that. Yeah, it's tempting, but I'm not.
1: He'll turn around and be like, actually, it's actually a Persian weapon from the fucking this 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 era before it was Scottish. Yeah. Or something. <laughs> I, I don't no, know. It's,
0: it's funny the um, the word claymore uh, was only ever used to describe the basket hilted
1: broadswords of Scotland. I didn't actually I, know that. that uh, yeah. Before it was the the um, the the V uh, guard with the little loops. The, the greatsword, yeah, yeah, that was yeah. I forgot the name they used for that one.
0: The Scottish greatsword was just a basically Scottish greatsword, and there was a lowland sword and a highland sword, um, but they were never called claymores until uh, the Victorian period in which the uh, broadsword, the Scottish claymore, uh, which was the basket-hilted broadsword of Scottish regiments, um, was referred to as the claymore, and then people made the assumption that because... The original, which I'm not going to try and pronounce in Gaelic, um, (laughs) was uh, to cleave, you know, to cut asunder. Uh, They assumed, well, big sword, claymore, okay. Uh, And so they kind of became synonymous with each other. But technically, historically speaking, uh, if you refer to a claymore, you're actually talking about the basket-hilted broadsword. But these days, we use them
1: uh, interchangeably with the large... To be fair, Samuel. Mm -hmm. Samwise. Uh, Andy did not say that he's not making a basket hilted claymore. Well, this is
0: this is true. He could be saying that he wants to make a basket hilted broadsword. In which case, yes, I love he, those ma- things.
1: He may be fully aware of this fact and be planning to do that.
0: Yeah, I, I hope he is, because <laughs> like the basket hilted Scottish broadsword, the claymore is one of my favourite swords. Basket hilts uh, are just great
1: you know, on any type of sword. To be honest. yeah
0: i want to make one i desperately want to make one but I even just...
1: i want to and i don't even make swords yeah I but just, like I... I grew up being a huge three musketeers fan oh uh, yeah the old swept hilt rapiers yeah and i know that they, they were you know made to be a lot more sort of flexible on that for the films and everything because it's more dramatic during the fight sequences and all that sort of thing but i just loved the artistry of those handles mm.
0: Yeah, no, you can't go past a good swept tilt. The rapier is probably one of my is probably the favorite sword of mine. Mm. Uh, I've I've got like a I've got a, an ascending list <laughs> of <No. laughs> favorite swords uh, pinned to the wall of your bedroom. It's a long list. <laughs> <laughs> it's pinned to several walls. Anyway, um, anyway, back on track. Sword next, nerd
1: coming out. Next person says, hey, gents, Tyler here from Little Pownal, Maine in the United States. I hope Mm. I'm pronouncing that right. I'm a month into my blacksmithing journey, and your podcast has been the background as I hand file my first 1084 knife. It came out not great, but there are no failures, just successes and learning opportunities, eh? Absolutely. I am an avid podcast listener, and I love many things about your show, the segment format, song of the week, discussions of mental health, with you on those big time the general ethos of doing with what you have as a rank novice i have many dreams i structure it in this way i can dream tons of projects in incredibly in incredible detail however the gap between fulfilling those dreams and where i am now is a chasm of skill one which i can only fill by doing the work learning smart listening to folks with experience learning to do things by hand before buying the machine, learning to hammer efficiently and safely, learning to make tools and so on. I am sort of living the project you described, Sam. I have an anvil, a forge, and a hammer in a barn. I have now made two sets of tongs. I made a tool rest, and I am hunting materials to make cut-off tools and punches and the like. The long-term dream is to make very clean, very simple chef's knives out of 52 and 100, and maybe sell one or two around here. I am taking my first step by taking a course at New England School of Metalwork this week and another next week. All the best and thanks for what you do, Tyler. That sounds great.
0: Man, I, honestly, that's not only really well-written, um, you know, <laughs> as, horribly a, as, a, read, but well as an email. No, no, it's a well-written email. And <laughs> honestly, you sound like you are exactly on the right track.
1: It sounds like he's been listening to us. <laughs>
0: Like, holy shit, someone actually took our advice. <laughs> no, man, that that is epic. I love that. Um, I love that you're trying to get educated. Like New England School of Metalwork. I constantly talk shout them out,
1: so And the best um, thing is by the end of this you're gonna understand the why <clears throat> so deeply of everything.
0: And that's it. You're gonna launch yourself light years ahead of other people um in your class. Uh, you know class being people starting around the same time as you mm. uh, because you're taking those steps to understand the why and to you know to do that kind of uh, the hard yards as we say yeah absolutely but no honestly hats off to you thank you thank so much you for-, for listening
1: yeah thank you for that email Tyler it was really nice to hear that's awesome all right so next up we have Austin uh, hello from the midwestern United States first of all I want to say I think Freaking love you guys. Well, we freaking love you too, Austin. We do. Uh, you both have been a huge source of constant inspiration, and I can't thank you enough. I'm not, I, I didn't add anything to this email. This is really <laughs> just what he was writing. <laughs> it was just Alex, it's just Alex like balling with <laughs> <laughs> right. uh, He said, I've been a listener since the very beginning, and honestly, don't know how I haven't emailed yet. I love the way you guys describe things. And go over all, uh, go all over the board as far as topics go. If I could change anything, it would. I would bring back the descriptions of different types of steel. Uh, we do that from time to time on Tool Time when we can't think of a tool to talk about.
0: Yeah, I think we should. We should like more regularly, like yeah, schedule that, like once I, a month or something. We'll, we'll, I agree. we'll set it up. <laughs> yeah, I, I,
1: I like talking about it too. He says, "I started writing them all down, but I miss hearing them." I can't tell you how much I love this podcast. I've been hobby forging for almost three years now, and I'm working at the moment on cleaner and more precise forge work. I consider myself a more traditional style blacksmith, as I like to focus on historical accuracy, and I like to make tools, hammers, basically all kinds of stuff without blades, as I don't have any power tools and hate filing. (laughs) Ha (laughs) ha. Don't we all. Uh, all of this to say my dream project is honestly hard to think of on the spot when i think of my blacksmithing dreams they air more towards the direction my blacksmithing is headed to name one thing it would probably be a large bearded axe Mm. but one that is super majestic and clean and proper with a beautiful handle i can't thank you guys for helping to keep me on track and challenge my mind all the love and respect in the world austin boss well, thank you very much, Austin. That's really nice to hear. Yeah, that's awesome,
0: Austin. And, you know, I'm glad that you're keeping your eyes on the road and, you know, not keeping your head in the fairies. Um, yeah, that's right. And
1: it acts is a great, great uh, sort of long-term goal to go to. As someone who recently made one, it's a lot of work, but it's rewarding yeah. if you get it done.
0: And there's a lot that can go into it, you know, like, making a bearded axe can be as complicated or as simple as you like. Mm. Uh, <laughs> so, you know, it's a good place to play with, uh, with ideas. That's great.
1: Yeah. Well, thanks very much for writing in. And we have two questions. So the first mm. one is from someone who has written in a couple of times before. It's Steve Ellis at Red Snake Forge. Hey, Steve. He says, hello from Texas, USA. I have a question about stabilized handle material. Is it necessary to oil or otherwise seal stabilized wood? I have recently begun using a little bit of stabilized wood and would like to know if it's a, if a good buff is enough or if further treatment is required. Thanks and love the show. Steve Ellis. I'll let you take this one, Sam.
0: <laughs> Not the woodmaster taking this one?
1: Well, I, I'm, the thing I would want to say is that stabilizing doesn't necessarily mean void filling.
0: No. Well, I mean, and that's true. Voids are something you've got to deal with. The other thing is is that... Voids aren't always apparent right away. Yeah. And the other thing is, having worked with stabilized timbers quite a bit, um, there is a difference between stabilized and stabilized. If you're getting it from a reputable dealer who does a really in-depth stabilization process, much like Mark Sinclair, who spends three months per blank uh, stabilizing uh, to make sure that he gets full penetration... Um, you're going to need less work to finish it, um, whereas others will tend to do a shorter process and not uh, go as in-depth, and which means that they may not get full penetration of the stabilizing agents.
1: There are also uh, some people that would literally just put a bit of wood into a silicone mould and then pour a resin on top of it and call it stabilised. <laughs> it's not the same thing. Yeah, that's it.
0: I've seen people who've claimed that something
1: soaked in um,
0: warm beeswax, like, you know, melted beeswax is stabilised. Oh, jeez. Uh, yeah, so not all stabilised woods are the same. Um, but even that, even being said, even Mark Sinclair's stuff that's been, you know, fully, fully sealed, you know, fully stabilised, the fibers themselves um, sometimes just won't soak up the, the resin. Like, there's nothing you can do to them to make them soak it up. So there will be the ends of the fibers slightly, you know, kind of standing proud when you finish your handles. So I always use a very, very light coat of tongue oil uh, before I buff. So I'll do a light coating of tongue oil, let that dry, then I'll buff the handle. Uh, and that just makes sure that I absolutely 100% seal the handle. Um and I don't worry about you know having loose fibers soaking up moisture and stuff like that. But yeah. to be honest, a good buff with a decent wax is going to seal it pretty much 99 times out of 100.
1: And we've talked about in, in the past um, Renaissance wax before if these um, I, I always give nice thorough coatings of Renaissance wax whenever I'm sending a knife out. but if this is something that you've made for yourself, perhaps, or, um, or for use around the house. It's something you yep. can put on um, at intervals.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And Red <clears throat> uh, Renaissance Wax is an incredibly hardy wax. Um, mm. It it's stands a very up to a hard, lot of abuse. Yeah, very hard setting, and if you do a nice fine coat and then buff that to a shine with a soft cotton cloth, it's it's going to be relatively scratch-free and, and um, be very protective of the wood for a long period of time. Mm. Yeah. But thank well, you for thank- the question. That's a very good one.
1: Yeah. And finally, we have an email from... I don't have his name, just he's called himself Snake Strike. Um, Okay. So, I tried looking him up on Instagram. I couldn't find him. Uh, But he says, this is a question for both Sam and Alex. Have y'all ever had anyone demote your craft or discourage you from blacksmithing or anyone that has stood in your way from doing what you love? Me personally... I have parents that thinks it's a waste of time and it's not worth spending money on and is too noisy.
0: Mm. Mm. Every, every goddamn day is my answer. <laughs>
1: <laughs> you you will never. F- it is my my opinion that you will never find a full time blacksmith or bladesmith that has not had someone say, "Really." That's what you. When what about getting a real job? (laughs) Yeah, and and it can be as subtle
0: as like, do you actually make enough to live on doing that? You know, Mm. like you get that all the time. But I've I've had people directly tell me, just don't. It's not worth it. You'll never be good enough.
1: Mm -hmm. And
0: I mean, honestly, the worst the worst one for that is me. Uh, My I am my own worst enemy when it comes to
1: that. You know, the the imposter syndrome sets in every day um i'm i'm very much the opposite i i am um uh, the other end of the spectrum i'm far too aware of how awesome i am <laughs> that's it. He's, it he's the kind it, of guy that rolls out of bed people.
0: he's the kind of guy that rolls out of bed and looks into a full-length mirror and goes hey <laughs> yeah. he, he's not far wrong to be honest <laughs> <laughs> yeah he's just that good looking you
1: know no i i i had a um very (coughs) prosperous career as a business advisor um so i I know exactly how to make a business successful but when you're being lectured by people who only see the craft that you're doing and don't bother paying attention to how you are running that business um, they like to say because it is a it's a non-standard craft in the 21st century um they like to think well that's not conforming to my ideals of what <laughs> society should be operating under and so I'm going to mock it yeah. get a, get an office job like a real person exactly
0: <laughs> you're not allowed to live my dream you're not allowed to live your dreams because I'm not allowed to live mine um, However, it's to I, be a
1: very common thing I could be super wrong here and I apologize in advance if I am incorrect about this um, but you it sounds like you're maybe living at home with your parents and they're seeing you do it all the time if they are complaining that it's too noisy. Um yeah. So and if, if, they're, if they're having doubts about your career in it, it could just be coming from a place of them wanting you to have a successful, uh, you know, future ahead of you.
0: Yeah. And I mean, we, we've had people ask, you know, about going full time on the show before and basically saying, unless you can <laughs> guarantee your financial security outside of blacksmithing, uh,
1: don't do it, um, because is, it's very hard. There but, is a, a, a phenomenon in blue that blues musicians talk about called paying your dues, yeah. uh, and bl- everyone who wants to get into this craft has to pay their dues, and basically that means you're doing it in your spare time while you do real work. Um, and by real work I mean going and getting a normal socially acceptable job (laughs) Um, and then you you have this as a passion project and the thing is if you really want it and you want it to be your job you can build it up and build it up and build it up until it takes over your quote-unquote real job and becomes the thing that you do for a living but that passion has got to drive you to that point
0: yeah that's that's it I mean it's, uh, it's all well and good to have passion, but, you know, you need the, the skills and the marketing to, to back it up when it comes to actually making a job out of it. Um, yeah. But yeah, as far as I'm concerned, if it's something you want to do, you'll find a way. Um, and you, you're always going to
1: get people who are going to tell you you can't do it, always. It was uh, Ayn Rand, the author, Ayn Rand actually uh, once said, It's not a matter of who will let me, it's a matter of who will stop me exactly somebody stop me <laughs> and that was mask yeah. slightly less philosophical band. You're
0: way more entertaining uh-huh. yeah I he knew a a P-
1: P-A-R-T though. why <laughs> because, because I gotta got <laughs>
0: right. thanks for
1: are, ro- thanks for running in Snake, snake Strike you, uh, you keep that fire lit keep the passion going you'll get there yeah man keep going if, if they don't think that you can make it, prove them wrong. Yeah. Take them along to a class. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Start making them things. Yeah, exactly. All righty. So, listener emails are out of the way. Inspirations of the week. Sam, mm. you want to fire off? Sure, why not? I'm um, kind of going with a the theme uh,
0: <laughs> from last week's episode uh, in that my brain is like engraving focused right now. Uh, I'm engraving obsessed if you like. Um,
1: did your gear turn up? Not yet. Oh, no, geez. it's coming from
0: the it's coming from the States, so oh, I'm so I'm expecting it in here a couple in like months twenty twenty two. Yeah, that's it. I mean hell the the box of handles that uh, Jared sent me took four months to get here. Hmm. Um, so I'm I'm not holding my breath. Man,
1: I have to buy my handles at the store like a schmuck. <laughs> Well, I used to, too, but I have very generous friends. (laughs) Um,
0: But I thought I would go to the man who uh, inspired me to get back into engraving. Uh, And he didn't, he, like, you know, he wasn't engraving at the time. It was him actually inquiring about engraving that got me back into it. Um, I met him at Blade Symposium, and he mentioned that he wanted to get into hammer and chisel engraving, and I had mentioned that I'd done some of it before and we had a bit of a conversation about it and I told him some tricks uh, about how to get started and pointed in the direction of a couple of videos and then when I got home all I wanted to do was pick up my engraving chisel again
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> um, and since then he's been really putting in the hard yards and doing a lot of engraving on his work and stuff like that constantly improving constantly practicing um, and I'm, I'm constantly seeing his updates on Instagram going hell yeah man Like he's obviously getting better every day um, and it's just been pushing me to, to, you know, get back in the saddle and, and do more of, uh, what I like to do. Um, and so, yeah, his, his inspiration has been through his passion for, uh, engraving and, and, you know, driving me to continue, uh, my, my passion for it. And so this guy's name is, uh, Rob Hayes, and I've mentioned his Instagram channel, uh, Instagram page a couple of times. Uh, it's called Hammer and Scales. Yeah. Uh, and Rob is, uh, an interesting guy. He actually, uh, pr- like, his profession is in armorsmithing. Um, he makes full suits of armor for people who do boo-hurt and HMB. Uh, you know, full contact medieval fighting. So, properly uh, made. Yeah. Take a, f- a beating. Heat-treated, fully, fully heat-treated, you know, uh, plate mail and stuff like that. Um, he actually brought a, a breastplate... With him to Symposium, and he oh, did a. That was him. Yeah, and he did an Karl armor Roy forging was wearing him. Yeah, yeah, that's it. He also made the giant warhammer that Kyle ate sausage off. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I think it was a beast. Um, but yeah, he's a fantastic armorsmith. His armor is stupidly clean, um, and he actually forged a, um, a vambrace at Symposium uh, in like an hour, and I just. I hated him for every second of it because I can't stand sheet metal work because I can never make it work properly. Mm-hmm. And he was just molding it like it was clay. It was, <laughs> it was crazy to watch. He's like, yeah, you just tap it this way, tap it that way. And suddenly van brace. Ha And I was like, I hate you. <laughs> I had to make a Gorgé and it took me like three tries. <laughs> um, but no, he's, he's, um, he's a really cool guy and he's, uh, super helpful with everyone that he meets. He's a really open dude. And, um, yeah, he, he just got me re-inspired to, to try out an engraving. And, um, he's been doing some really good engraving on his recent work. Um, actually today he posted a photo of a glaive that he'd made, uh, from a, from a medieval painting. Um, and it's a, it's a Boohert glaive. Like it's designed to whack other people in steel armor with, okay. uh, and he engraved like vines going up the side of it right yeah it looks sweet as and um yeah no he's he's, (laughs) yeah no he's he's really good hammer and scales is definitely worth watching uh he's been doing a lot of more knife work recently because he's been trying to up his game in the knife area but um yeah he'll be getting back to armorsmithing pretty soon I'm sure and I I want to commission him for a um for a buckler at some point because there's no way in hell I'm gonna make one (laughs) (laughs) Uh, so I may as well, you know, get the professional to do it.
1: Well, that's right. If you know one,
0: that's it. And so, yeah, um, Hammer and Scales, Rob Hayes. Uh, he's based over in Melbourne. All right. Uh, and if you're in his area, maybe you should look him up.
1: Yeah. Although social distancing in Melbourne, please. Oh yeah, well, yeah, please. God. Poor Victoria.
0: Yeah, uh, not doing too well. Yeah, look, look him up on Instagram. Yeah. <laughs> Hammer, Hammer, and, Hammer Scales. and Scales. That's it. You can see a photo of Kyle Royer eating sausage off a giant spike, and you know, wearing wearing a suit of plate mail.
1: He was really pleased with that too.
0: Yeah, he was super pleased with it. It fit him perfectly, which was hilarious. Yeah, because it had been it had been made to Rob's dimensions, and it just happened that him and Kyle were very similar. Body. So
1: awesome that just clothing and garments fit him. They just they melt. that's it. Yeah, yeah, they just mold themselves to him. Yeah. Out of respect.
0: Yeah, <laughs> wouldn't you? Um, <laughs> I would.
1: I would mould myself to him, and it's <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. But anyway, with that being said,
1: who's your inspiration this week? Mine is one that uh, probably most people has seen uh, <coughs> his work before. Um, he's from Derbyshire. 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 Yeah. Derbyshire. Uh, in Did england you? um and they've probably seen the thing that he is famous for and are not aware that he also does a whole suite of other things as well uh, he's a tool maker but he is most famous for his hammers um and his hammers are possibly the most unique blacksmithing hammers i've ever seen because mm. um they are twisted oh yeah yeah, there is a 90-degree a twist in them from one face to the other face. Um, <laughs> and I would love nothing more than to own one of his... Um, I think I think he calls them a bench hammer? It's it's basically... Uh, he actually sells a rounding hammer, basically. Mm-hmm. It's um, got a turning face on one side and a flat face on the other side, uh, but has that twist. And then the eye is, I, I presume cut through it milled yeah because um, I, I think cut. i
0: know the ones you're talking about and i don't think it would be punched
1: i don't think it's possible to punch them <laughs> but, um, it, either way they are gorgeous they are just absolutely beautiful and for the longest time i'd seen them floating around and assumed that it was just some company somewhere that was um fabbing them mass, mass production and everything uh, but mm. then I, I found him and he, he hand makes these things. <laughs> There's limited numbers of them. They are hard to get and they are beautiful. He does brass hammers as well and still puts the twist in them. Oh, wow.
0: That's... that's yeah. yeah, he twisting does. Twisting brass is not easy.
1: No, but he does it. And it, he does claw hammers in the same way. He does... Um, he also has um, sort of chisels and punches and all this sort of thing it, he makes the most unique versions of all of these things that I've ever seen. And he goes, he's on Instagram by uh, Kinetic Customs, Kinetic underscore Customs, um, and absolutely look up his work. It is It is a personal goal of mine to one day own one of his rounding hammers. Um, mm-hmm. They are the perfect weight for me, too. I think he, he makes them all the same size, and I think they come in at about 2.2 pounds. Mm-hmm. Uh, which for me is just ideal, um, so it's like it's meant for me, and I, 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 it's a it's one of those things that I'd love to actually fork out for, but I can't justify the money because <laughs> it, it would end up being like two hundred and something dollars to get one here, and yeah. it's just it's for a hammer, and I'm sure they're you know lovely to use and everything, but yeah, it's I just look at them and drool. <laughs> yep, um, it's just the the. It just it's eye catching when when you and everybody who's gotten into blacksmithing it's one of the first things that you do is the twist you learn the twist, and you are so mm-hmm. proud of that twist when it happens. but to have a twist in a hammer billet yeah it's just it's insane monstrous amount of talk needed to make that happen uh they're not yeah. small hammers that he makes.
0: I'm still I'm I'm still blown away by the fact that he twists brass like mm. anyone anyone who works with brass knows that, that stuff likes to crack at like if you look at it the wrong way mm-hmm. um, <laughs> so I,
1: I was shocked yeah when I when I actually went to his website where you can actually and I highly recommend you do look up his website it's linked on his Instagram um, look at all of the different tools that he has to offer and uh, that twist features in a lot of them but he has other designs as well None of his tools look like anything that anybody else makes. Mm, Very unique. Yeah. So um, I have been... um, uh, I've got a couple of hammers in the works, actually, um, in the near future, and some top tools and things. I'm I'm trying to gear up my shop a little bit more um, with some future projects that I've got coming up, which are uh, a bit hairier than usual. So uh, I want to be kitted up while I've got some time to kit up and so that is going to involve making a couple of Hammers and um, so I've been very much inspired by the work of uh, of his and have been for a long time but to uh, in my looking around for inspiration in Hammers finding out that this is this this is just a dude doing it and it's not some mass production facility um, yeah. I, I was shocked and blown away and, and even more amazed by them so definitely check him out so Cool. Yes. Uh, are you gonna work in your Segway? <laughs> no,
0: no. The Segway's it's it's over. It's 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 broken.
1: Okay, okay. Well, what else is broken is people's blowers if they don't use one of these. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this Segway. Segway. So yeah, we're we're trying to gently um, slide into the DMs of Tooltime. Tooltime love creative man long time you all know that but did you know that they're also who we ourselves use when we need stuff and it's not because they're our sponsor it's because they're fast well-priced and frankly damn lovely to deal with so visit them at creativeman.com.au and show them some love and this week we are talking about air gates mm. and they come in so many different flavors there's a pack practically um, a basket and robins of them
0: i know i know that
1: there's going to be like half of our listenership that is like a what now (laughs) (laughs) well we we interact with a lot of beginner blacksmiths and a lot of beginner blacksmiths will start with solid fuel forges and the good old-fashioned forge blower that people like to use is something like a hairdryer or a electric mattress inflator or uh, a leaf blower heaven forbid um and all that air can't just go into your forge. So you need an air gate. Mm. And an air gate is a tool um, that diverts the air you're not using so that you don't get what's called foldback. Yes. So Or back backdraft or you know, backdraft. Yeah. Otherwise if known as. That movie terrified me as a child. <laughs> oh the videos that they show. yeah Uh, so basically what happens is if you were to just stick a hairdryer (laughs) on a pipe with some gaff tape and stick that pipe in a fire and turn the hairdryer on on high the air flows down the tube and it acts like a liquid and the pressure in that tube increases to a point where the force being applied on it by the hairdryer can only get it to a certain pressure but if that air pressure can't be relieved by going somewhere uh, and being dispersed then the pressure builds up in the tube and eventually applies pressure back on the motor or the impeller that is driving the the air down and that creates um, strain on the motor and the motor will eventually burn out this doesn't Mm. happen on this does not happen on hand crank blowers um, well,
0: the, the, owner, the, the person working the crank can blur, but can burn out, but not through backdraft. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> through
1: over-cranking. But electric blowers, this is a real problem. Um, and so you, you would think that because you've got the other end of that pipe is sticking in your forge, all the air will just flow out into the forge, right? Wrong! That's mm. not how it works. Especially when you've got solid fuel in it. <laughs> that's right. It's basically, it's, it's sort of like sticking a potato in the exhaust pipe of a car. Um, yeah. It blocks up with ash. It blocks up with um, ever increasingly smaller pieces of solid fuel that break off as the the, the coals um, sort of break apart, and it impedes the airflow. Uh, a hairdryer is designed to have nothing impeding its mouth at all. Yeah, it's its function. Yeah, and so well, because even of that, even
0: forge blowers, like even the ones you can buy online, they're not designed to take the kind of weight.
1: That's right. Now, some people, um, instead of using an air gate, they will actually block off the um, intake valve of the blower, which is just another surefire way to burn out the motor as well.
0: Any kind of flow limiting is going to screw your burner, like you screw your blower.
1: Yeah. And so an air gate, basically, it splits your airflow into two channels. One of the channels goes to the forge, the other channel goes to an exhaust vent so it basically it there's no impeding of the flow it's just taking a percentage of it and you can adjust it so uh, you can control what percentage is going to your forge and what percentage is diverting off to the exhaust and that way there is um you're getting exactly the amount of airflow that you want without actually blocking any of it or sending it back down to burn out the motor uh, mm. and, and they're very simple to build you can there are incredibly rudimentary ones uh, out there like, I, I think the one on your coal forge your, your channel yeah. forge is, is just a flap of metal isn't it
0: yeah it's a it's a piece of sheet steel i cut a rectangular hole in the pipe that goes from the blower to the forge and then put a piece of sheet steel that's like friction fit in there uh and because it's friction fit just between the, the lip of that rectangle you can pivot it mm-hmm. so you you know if you pivot it down then it blocks off more of the air and more of the rectangular hole is open so it just diverts more mm. and then the further the further up you pivot it the more air goes to the forge and the less air goes out the hole it's yeah. the easiest thing to make ever and it works spectacularly well
1: bogan airgate
0: Oh yeah, exactly. It doesn't look great, but uh, I might I might put a video of it up on my uh, on my Instagram for people
1: who want to see it. Mm. I I um, built a, a wooden one um, for a, a while back that was a bit more complex than Sam. <laughs> A tiny bit. A little <laughs> bit. But it was designed um, because I I'd had no idea what blower I would be using. It turned out that um, I've, I've been able to have no trouble finding hand crank blowers, which I prefer anyway, because they act as their own air gate by just controlling the speed at which you crank it. Um, mm-hmm. But I didn't know was I going to... was the only thing I was going to have a leaf blower. Was it an inflator? Was it? I had no idea. So I needed something that was a bit beefier that could handle everything from a hairdryer to something that could, you know, blow all of the leaves out of my yard at once. Um, and so I actually have a video on my YouTube channel about how to build one for yourself. They're they're an incredibly handy thing to have just on hand for if your main blower does die and you need to replace it with something that your forge is not set up to take.
0: And this is um, actually also important for those of us who use uh, forced air propane um, gas mm. forges mm. Um, because you've got exactly the same issue um, because if you, can't, if you can't slow down the motor using a VFD or something like that or a dimmer switch, then you're going to have to divert some air somehow.
1: And the thing that people forget, I, I, I think there's a lack of understanding of in two regards. One, that air... Uh, a, a pipe that looks empty is not empty. It's full full of air. And mm. the air will only compress to a certain amount. So, you know, that needs to go somewhere. Um, and the other thing is a, f- a fire that is burning, it's not just about the speed the air is going. It's about the volume of air that's getting through there. Um, and I know Alex Steele ran into this problem with his monster uh, forced air burner forge that he's uh, I don't think he's gotten working yet but um, oh no he has it, it he, works now oh, it does he, it, yeah. he put that monster sized blower on it but he didn't change the size of the pipes that it, the air was going through and yeah so, so he's even, trying
0: to squeeze a golf ball through a garden hose
1: <laughs> yeah that's right even though the fan was getting bigger the pipes were staying the same so the same amount of air was going to get through uh, mm-hmm. it might have been moving faster but the volume would be the same Yeah. Um, And so you've got to take all this into consideration. And air gates basically work the same as a water gate uh, in a, um, uh, what do they call them? You know, the dams have the uh, hydroelectric power. Yeah, yeah, Uh, uh, yeah. Yeah, they do the same thing because uh, uh, water works the same way as air does. Basically, it's floaty water. Pretty much. (laughs) (laughs) That's the the deep science that you get on the Forgecast, guys. It's floaty water. Air is just <laughs> floaty water. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but it, I, and and this is true. And you know, it's it's much like um, when you have your hose on. Like going back to a hose analogy, uh, you can have it running fairly low. But if you put your thumb over the end, you know, and lower the um, the orifice, you can get an increased speed of the uh, of the water through pressure. But you're not getting any more volume out of it. Mm, yeah. You know, if you if you try and fill a bucket using that, you know, squirt method, and then just try and fill the bucket by by leaving the hose open in the bucket, they'll fill the same speed. Mm -hmm. Um, Whereas if you turn up the... If you use the tap, which is, you know, in our terms, the air gate, uh, if you turn up the tap, then you're increasing the volume.
1: Yeah, and you're not reducing the pressure or increasing the pressure. You're keeping a constant pressure throughout the entire system, which is the most important part.
0: Exactly right, and... Um, the, the big thing is, is that you're not trying to back up the pressure into the hose and explode the hose, uh, <laughs> which is, you know, bad for everyone.
1: Yeah. <clears throat> but so, yeah, I'm, I've burned useful, out.
0: Tool. Yeah. I've burned out a couple of hair dryers accidentally without, you know, meaning to, because I didn't have an air gate. That's why I developed my Bogan air gate. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's because I realized that was what the problem was.
1: Yeah. But... Yeah, get one if you if you're wanting a design. There's one on my YouTube channel uh, from a long, long way away. It was about like eighteen months ago.
0: <laughs> and if you're wanting if you're wanting a quick fix that you know takes almost no time at all, I will put up a video
1: of how I made my little bogan airgate. For Absolutely, because it's like a five minute job and it will do the job just right.
0: <laughs> yeah, literally five minutes with an angle grinder and you're done. <laughs> <laughs>
1: <clears throat> all right. So as the show reaches its hour mark, let's get into our topic of the week. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Short episodes, not. Yay. <laughs> <laughs> so with all of my um, research into bloomery smelts, I've been doing a lot of research on the history of steel fabrication because uh, specifically because uh, I want my bloomery smelts to be um sort of as historically accurate as possible. I'm not going to introduce any modern convenience into it. It's going to be done old school. Mm. And so, yeah, we thought we would actually bring that up because uh, I've, I've talked about it with a few people and most people I've spoken to had no idea how steel is even made.
0: Yeah, it is, it is an interesting topic and not one that even those of us who know that it is done don't know how
1: it is done um or why <laughs> which is the important thing and what's amazing is um there are so many different ways of doing it that are all kind of in line and in the same yeah. same sort of thing but these different cultures have independently come to work it out in their own way
0: exactly yeah there's been very different approaches to exactly the same problem <laughs>
1: Yeah, I mean, well, the, the chimney-style bloomery smelt is one that uh, most people are probably familiar with by um, seeing, I know Joey Vanistee because um, they do one at, um, what do they call that event? Hummer uh, Dock. Yeah, they, they do one every year at that. Yeah, they're, yeah, they're, um, um, and, like, Owen Bush
0: uh, does about three a year at his workshop. Um, and Thies uh, van Manaka has got a bunch of videos on YouTube. Of uh so
1: if there is if you get a chance to be a part of one you absolutely should because it's it's sort of being a part of living history to be able to, the fact that you can still do it and it still works just as fine as yeah. it did back then. Um, and you can it's it's it's, it's clay. Mm-hmm. It's it's burnt wood. That's it's it. it's rocks. You go from and yet we raw are more materials to steal. Yeah, and you can create steel with which the modern world has been made. It's, yeah, it is a magical, magical thing.
0: Um, mm. Never ceases to amaze me. <laughs> so
1: ba- basically, the, the, the commonality of the process is you'll take um, iron ore or rocks cont- that are rich in iron ore. And you will uh, break them up, powder them, as, and get them down to a fine uh, powder. This is after baking them, of course, to make them more brittle and make them easier to crunch up. Um, you then, uh, by baking, I mean really baking. Yeah, you stick I'm them trying. in a bonfire and let the bonfire burn down. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Yeah, I'm not, not a, a light toast at 100 <laughs> degrees, you know. Um, and then once you've crushed it up and you've, you've got that powder, you build this structure depending on the culture that you come from, a structure that is made of um, usually some sort of clay uh, I think some of the cultures had different mixes that they would make them. I know um, like the um, uh, Tataras aren't just clay are they? No
0: they're um, clay and straw most that, yeah for most, more rigidity. Yeah most um, most cultures ended up coming up with like a clay. Um, clay straw mix like Mm. uh, the Celts tended to use uh, grass just like you know long grass reeds that kind of thing and Um, it
1: creates a sort of binding edge like structural integrity uh, enhancement because of the the cross grain structure of the the, the material inside the clay
0: that's it yeah and I mean you can use like mud but you need a relatively high clay mud because if it's just sand then it just will fall over no Mm. matter how much straw you put in it (laughs)
1: So you, you, you build a large chimney-like structure, maybe a narrow chimney or it may be very wide in the case of a tatara, um, and you fill that with charcoal mm-hmm. and you, get a, a, you light a fire on the top and the fire starts burning down and there's air holes down the bottom um, that are creating an updraft and you get all of that charcoal burning. You get it really, really hot, and you watch for the fire to reach the bottom, which means that the entire thing, top to bottom, is burning. And then you close it all up, except for the top, and you can control the. Uh, you have a uh, air feeding in under control now, not just breathing, but actually pumping air in and using blowers of, of some description, depending on the culture you're in. Once again, and then you just feed in air, and you get that entire lot of charcoal, which you are constantly feeding. Yep. For the entirety of this process, feeding more and more. You go through a lot of charcoal. You do. And then you start loading in charges. And these charges are this iron rich powder that you've ground up.
0: Yep. And I it starts it it f-
1: and it starts feeding down through this mm. burning charcoal that is white hot and liquefying. Mm. And as it goes down to the bottom, it starts congealing into this sticky goopy mess called a bloom and you crack this thing open when the timing is right you'll start seeing it bleed out of, of a port that you've uh, either, depending on the style you'd either um, carve it at the t- the, when the timing is right or you would have it in there mm-hmm. um, and you, you, that bleeding usually is a sign that it's starting to pool at the bottom you crack this thing open, you pull this monster thing out which seems like it's defying all nature. <laughs> and you roll it out and you beat the hell out of it with some wooden mallets to sort of consolidate it a little bit because as it's sort of the outer layers are rapidly cooling, it's being heated from its core. You want to try and it's, it's very expanded because yeah. it's going from a liquid state to a solid state or not quite a well, liquid state. Yeah, they never, it never fully liquefies. Yeah. No, but it sort of becomes like a jelly. Yeah, it's it's a sponge. But then when you want to consolidate and cram it in on itself, and the only real way to do that quickly is with big old wooden mallets. Um, The reason you use
0: wood, funnily enough, is so that you don't actually fracture pieces off. Yes. um, You want (laughs) to consolidate the billet without busting it to pieces. But Um,
1: once you have gotten it consolidated to a certain point, usually they'll be lifted up onto a stump or something like that and um, worked with just normal hammers.
0: Yeah, steel hammers, trying to consolidate mm. the bloom into a bar. Mm. And then you'd either and split the bloom into multiple pieces and consolidate it from there or try and do the whole and it's, thing it's
1: at once. it's a long process to get rid of all of the impurities, all of the inclusions. you got to fold it and fold it and fold it and fold it to make it usable. But um, it was a process that uh, ancient cultures had down pat. Mm. Like, this was, this was a Tuesday.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's it. <laughs> And it's funny, because um, while we're talking about steel, uh, steel manufacture in small doses, uh, this is exactly the same process that was uh, used to create wrought iron. Uh, mm. The only difference was the height of the smelters and uh, the fuel used and the charge loads used, uh, which created a higher yield, but lower carbon. Um, mm. And that's like, there's there's so much to go into with making bloomery steels, Oh, yeah. Like, <laughs> it's uh, such a deep topic. Yeah, I mean, uh, the the variables, there are so many variables. It's like, you know, how much air are you putting in? Uh, what type of charcoal are you using? What mm. kind of ore are you using? Are you using limonite? Are you using hematite? Are you using magnetite? Um, What's the
1: diameter and height of your chimney?
0: Yeah, exactly. You know, like how far does the, the charge have to fall before it congeals at the bottom? uh mm. what's what's your base material um you know like the, all kinds of crazy stuff uh all comes together to you know tell you whether or not you end up with uh, a
1: cast steel, iron or steel
0: or cast iron or or wrought iron, iron. <laughs> yeah <laughs>
1: um uh, but to be honest like, if you can- if you get a chance to be a part of one just just jump on board anyway regardless of what the outcome is because seeing that thing break open and roll out oh you, there is
0: hell. there's not many ways to explain the amount of heat that comes off a of bloom <laughs> <laughs> Like yeah, it, it it is um, stunningly hot. <laughs> Brisbane bitumen on Christmas yeah. Day. <laughs> 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 it's serious. It's stupid. Like um, you know, I've I've only been part of one uh, hearth steel smelt, which is sort of a bloomery, but in the case of hearth steel, you're utilizing low carbon steels and carburizing them in a smelter uh, by utilizing the same process as you would uh, f- smelting from ore, but in this case, you're just simply using already you know, refined pieces of wrought iron or mild steel to, uh, you know, carburize them by basically half melting them back to a bloomery state, mm. uh, and using the, the the charcoal to carburize the the surface, almost like case hardening. But because you're basically half liquefying them, it becomes more homogenous.
1: And it was um, used commonly in uh, sort of medieval blacksmith shops, wasn't it? Because all the little offcuts and yeah. And- Scrap that was on the floor, they didn't want to waste that. They'd, they'd collect it all up, every tiny piece, and they'd put it back in the hearth and they'd liquefy it and reuse it. Or exactly, yeah. It quiet,
0: but yeah, you know, like re smelt it, um, homogenize it. <laughs> yeah. And it was also used uh, in the industry to try and create steel. So, you know, like you, you'd have a wrought iron smeltery that would make you know, a ton of wrought iron. Um, but steel smelting took more charcoal per charge than wrought iron manufacture did. Um, and so therefore making wrought iron was cheaper, so they'd buy the wrought iron and then they'd simply just put it through a hearth steel run uh, to get steel so that they could actually make usable tools out of it uh, and you know, say you're working in a blacksmith shop and you're like, oh I need to make more chisels but I don't have any high carbon steel well,
1: you know, here we go, some wrought iron, throw it in the hearth steel. <laughs> and I mean you sort of touch on an interesting point because it, it, forge welding is a, a very valuable skill to learn as a, as a blacksmith, but it Back in the day, it was absolutely necessary because oh. of how much work went into making even a small amount of steel and so if you were going to make even something like a chisel, nowadays we can just grab a bit of coil spring and co- forge it into a chisel. Back then, no freaking way. You yep. had to take wrought iron, split the end of it, and put a tiny piece, a, a tiny, very precious piece of hardenable steel in there, forge weld it shut, and rely on that for your cutting edge.
0: Yeah, you, you couldn't be a blacksmith, you know, anywhere up to the 1800s, you couldn't be a
1: blacksmith without knowing how to forge weld mm. um,
0: because it was just Utterly necessary.
1: Because uh, it was in a time where it, you know, it didn't matter how wealthy you were, it still required a lot of work to actually get steel. Yeah. So do I, it's, it's why swords were a, a sort of a, a status symbol because um, you know, it's easy to get sort of farming equipment, axes and things like that, because it's a small amount of steel that's embedded into a wrought iron head. Whereas a sword is a bit of a different story.
0: Yeah, and even going back to the Viking ages, most swords didn't have full blades of hardenable steel. They had mm, edge wraps, iron. you know, edge wraps of, of high-carbon steel surrounding iron cores. Mm. Um, because, yeah, steel was expensive.
1: <laughs> yeah, even uh, the, the old katanas, the same, That the, they had a whole... Um, sort of subculture of the construction methods of the, of the, where the core, uh, you know, the size and shape of the different cores and layers that built it up. There's a, there's a whole, uh, you could probably have books on it. Yeah, that, I think there, there <laughs> are 12,
0: there are 12 recognized styles of uh, mm. Katana's st- uh, kind of billet stacking. Mm. And if that's not just because somebody was bored one day. It's because. <laughs>
1: It's because steel is valuable back in those times.
0: That's it. And, um, you know, depending on where you were in the world, you may have access to different ores. Um, For instance, one of the reasons why uh, Damascus Wootz uh, was so highly prized was because it was sourced from a very specific mine somewhere in the, you know, Arabic Peninsula, somewhere around the northern India, somewhere around there. Uh, that had very specific uh, alloys in it, um, mm-hmm. you know, impurities, vanadium, uh, maybe a little bit of titanium, stuff like that, that allowed the carbides to segregate to create that that watered steel pattern that everyone talks about these days. The true Damascus steel. Um, quote unquote. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, because the thing is, which that is a
1: different argument for a different topic for a different episode. <laughs> yeah, because like <laughs> wootz
0: is a totally different different realm, but not all wootz is made the same, and that's the same with bloomery steel. Is that you can do a bloomery smelt and end up with a bloom of wrought iron just as much yeah. as you can start a bloomery smelt and end up with steel. Um, so a lot of the time, it takes a lot of research and understanding the science to uh, to get a desired result.
1: Yeah, that's right. And the fact that, I mean, even, um, I'm, I'm sure they still had their failures even back when they did it as a matter of course.
0: Oh yeah. I mean, um, Joey Vandersteeg is actually a really good example because one of the first blooms that he refined, he'd got from a Hamas like duck and it had way too much phosphorus in it. Right. So even when he forged it into a bar, like he forge welded into a bar, it was stupidly brittle. Uh, right. and, and it had massive grain. Like, no matter what he did to it, it would always have this massive grain. And it had it was incredibly brittle. It was unhardenable, but it was just useless because it had so much phosphorus and sulfur in it. Uh, and that comes from the ore. That comes from the ore that they used. Um, so sometimes you just get unlucky.
1: <laughs> yeah, well, that's right. Um, one of the most impressive steel manufacture processes... Uh, in terms of you know the visual componentry of it would have to be um, the formation of Tamahagane. Yeah. Um. I'll I'll let you describe that <laughs> process because uh, well, you're you're the weeb. Yeah. Well,
0: it's the the thing is that the Japanese kind of um, their culture is surrounded is, is kind of uh, epitomizes the whole idea of mastery. Uh, in Japan, it's it's very much. Um, a reductionist approach where, you know, instead of having a man who forges a blade and then puts a handle on it, uh, the Japanese will have a guy who forges the blade, a guy who grinds the blade, a guy who puts the guards on the blade, the guy who puts the handles on the blade, and then the guy who makes the sheath, (laughs) you know, like it's very reductionist and Tamahagane is, is exactly the same. They had people who their only job was to create, create Tamahagane. Um, they didn't forge it, they didn't use it at all.
1: And only certain families were allowed to do it. (laughs) Yeah,
0: exactly, and even now, you know, they only have, I think, three operating tatara
1: left. That that are real tamahagane.
0: Yeah, um, and what denotes real tamahagane is the the size of the tatara, the people making it, and the use of black iron sand from Japan. Mm. Um, they use black iron sand, which is, fairly high in manganese uh and is very pure uh pure iron as well so um it gets it, and the thing is they make about a 2 ton tamahagane bloom
1: mm.
0: you know like they don't they don't make small blooms <laughs> the size
1: of those tataras i've i've seen a video that shows um it was a room that had two of them in it i think yeah Um, And it was monstrous. Breaking that thing open was... Even (laughs) watching it on a video, it was sort of... I could feel the heat.
0: Yeah, no, seriously. And they run them for, like, three days straight, uh, Mm. you know. Um, But, yeah, the the big thing is the Tataras are normally uh, epitomized by by being uh, long and uh, rectangular rather than tall and chimney-like. They can be quite tall depending on the size of the tatara. Like, you can have a tatara that's, like, three tweers long which is normally about a meter wide, like a meter long, and then about half a meter wide, uh, which were the smaller Tataras of the more traditional Edo period. Uh, The modern ones, I think, uh, are like 20 Twi'ers long. Uh, Mm. And there's a Twi'er on each side, so there's 40 Twi'ers in total. Um, But the the really interesting thing about Tataras' uh, construction is that they're not just a chimney with charcoal in it, they actually prepare the base And the base is actually a very specific layer of... They have water running underneath the floor. Then they have uh, limestone. Then they have a layer of fine sand. Then they have a layer of um, charcoal dust, like pure refined charcoal dust. And then a layer of uh, pure charcoal. And then upon that is ash. Mm. And then basically what happens is that the rest of it is piled in with charcoal. And as the, the bloom slowly settles to the bottom, it settles through the layers of uh, charcoal and charcoal dust to finally lay on the, the silica sand at the bottom, uh, where it cools thanks to the you know, the limestone and the, the water flowing underneath uh, very mm. slowly. Um, and it allows for the bloom to congeal a lot more uh, uniformly than a bloomery that's done without cooling at the bottom.
1: Requiring less refinement afterwards.
0: Yeah, and um, that's why uh, Tamahagane is normally referred to as dual steel, because of the cooling properties inside the Tatara. When you crack open a uh, Tamahagane bloom, a lot of the time you'll find um, unscaled... Sounds
1: be like a beer commercial.
0: Yeah, <laughs> a lot of the times you'll find um, unscaled pieces of steel in there that have turned, you know, blue and purple with temper colours. Um... Mm-hmm during the cooling process. Uh, and that's due to the atmosphere that's created by that um, la- those layers of charcoal dust and, and, and charcoal at the base of the tatara. Um, it also allows for a freeing of the billet without having to chip away the billet from the floor. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, as if you watch a couple of ones, there's some where the billet actually, the bloom in smaller smelts, welds itself to the floor of the mm-hmm. the bloomery smelter and so you have to kind of pry bar it up <laughs> uh we had to do that with the bloomery uh with the half steel smelt that we did because it welded itself to the uh the bricks at the bottom <laughs> <laughs> um but yeah so tamahagane is uh, very specifically uh one of the more recognized blooms because it's very in-depth in its creation
1: and also the fact that um because it is it's practically a religious experience to create one of these things is so deeply entrenched in their culture and their spirituality Mm. to this day whereas every other culture seems to have sort of lost uh, touch with their roots and they, they they don't really there wasn't that much importance applied to it compared to what the japanese have done yeah exactly and so it's still practiced today practically the same way that it was practiced 800 years ago uh, as opposed to how steel is made today for you know your 1084 for a knife yeah exactly with you know vacuum sealed chambers and you know mm. uh, and
0: induction forges uh, as an interesting aside there is actually a family who used to make katanas for a lord in japan i can't remember the, the family name but uh when the meiji period came through they were banned from making swords ever again and so they went into blacksmithing, making you know general tools, and they became the best makers of uh, fire chopsticks, their steel chopsticks for lifting uh, charcoal into a um, into their tea boxes. And uh, eventually, that you know, the whole tea ceremony and stuff started drying up. And what they found was that they could make wind chimes out of them. Right. And so there's a family in Japan right now that makes. Uh, these Tamahagane forged wind chimes. Good heavens. Uh, they're, they're forged out of exactly the same Tamahagane as, as as it goes into
1: Katanas. Oh, I have the vapors. It's it's actually
0: really cool. Um,
1: <laughs> I, I came
0: across a video about it uh, the other day, um, and it's just actually a really cool story. But I, I thought that was interesting because you were talking about wind chimes earlier. <laughs> yeah.
1: It's like the ultimate wind chimes. Yeah, that's, that's it. <laughs> I feel, though, that would be super frustrating to own those mm. because p- people would come over to your house and you'd be like, oh, check out my wind chimes. And they'd be <laughs> like, oh, they're nice, yeah, I guess. a couple of steel you're sticks. you're like, no, get, get the hell out of my house. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. You'd just be cornering these poor people every time they came to your house to tell them about the... History and the importance and the significance of these damn wind chimes. Yeah, <laughs> like yeah. I just came over for a biscuit. You can't, yeah, some
0: people just can't <laughs> appreciate class.
1: That's right. But um, yeah, the creation of steel
0: and and like we're brushing the surface, like this, oh massively. This, this is massively. such and a. If you would like
1: level. to hear more, do tell us. Oh, man, if you want to
0: hear more, <laughs> I could fill several episodes.
1: <laughs> just yeah, my... and you'll get to actually see me do it on live streams, etc. Yeah. So...
0: yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. Do so it badly. We're more than happy to talk about this subject because it's, it's one of my passions. And I'm planning on doing some smelts either this year or next year uh, myself. So, you know, you'll see both of us been doing it in the next year or so. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, But, yeah, so it's definitely an interesting subject, and it's one that I think is more important than people give it credit, because keeping in touch with our roots is important. And
1: it's what built the world. I mean, where would the world... Think about where the world would be without steel, with hardened steel. Yeah, man, seriously. Like,
0: it it is literally what gave way to the Industrial Revolution. Mm. So... Yeah, we we have a lot to thank for our uh, forebears discovering the mysteries of steel.
1: I mean, we we um it, it's funny, there's sort of like a um it's it's not a openly spoken, but it, there is a a definite sort of vibe in um bladesmithing specifically of people uh who are scrappers, sort yeah. of being <laughs> less than, you yeah. know. But the the reality is um even back then, you couldn't go scrapping. Like, steel, <laughs> steel was a phenomenal process. Yeah. And if you want to go down to the bottom of where it all comes from, I mean, that's it's an important thing to, to understand because this is something that you can do in your backyard. Yeah. and With, actually, with minimal tools.
0: <laughs> it's, it's funny because there was actually a period during uh, the British Renaissance, about 1700s, where uh, Sheffield cutlers uh, were accosting carriage drivers to steal their springs. <laughs> because...
1: They'd rather um, not do a smelt in their backyard.
0: Was, they found out that um, the a lot of the carriage springs that were being used at the time were a very good form of high-carbon steel that had been very well refined. Mm. And so they would offer to trade new springs for the old ones so that they could use the old ones to make swords out of. Right. Um, and knives and stuff like that. So, like... Sh- and this is, this is the Sheffield cutlery industry doing this. So... Yeah. If the Sheffield cutlery industry isn't beneath, you know, stealing carriage springs to make knives...
1: <laughs> well, my point being, I mean, this, the thing is, like, the, the people who go for scrapping for steel are usually people who either can't or don't want to, to buy new steel but the thing is you can using the same techniques that were used 800 years ago or more make steel in your backyard yeah but in order in order to do it all you have to do is understand the why
0: hilariously actually um one of the biggest arguments against using scrap steel is that you don't know what the contents of the
1: material is but if you made the steel <laughs> if you
0: make bloomery steel you have no idea what the carbon content is none you have no idea what the alloying content is unless you send it off to get spectroscopically analyzed you're going to not going to have any idea and yet if someone makes a bloomery steel knife if you think about it for a second
1: they're hailed as a hero <laughs> exactly
0: they are hailed as being a, an arbiter of everything that is good and right in the world <laughs> You make a knife yep. out of a file and you're the worst blacksmith that has ever graced the face of this planet.
1: <laughs> but you know how they uh, found out what the carbon content was back in the day? They, they quenched test- it and snapped it. They tested it. it. <laughs> they tested it. Yep. This is exactly what we keep saying. And that's, you know, it's actually, um, I've been watching Joey Steeg's recent YouTube videos where he's taken the refined bloomery steel um, and is testing it. He... Uh, took a tiny little slice of it and put it into a uh, mild steel bar to make a chisel out of it and he hardened it and tempered it and he's beat been the testing crap out it. of it. <laughs> yep. Absolutely murdering this thing and it's holding up. Yeah, actually I was I found it's a it damn interesting good job.
0: Yeah, I found it interesting that he did a lot of tests post Quench but before temper. Mm. Just to see how far he could push it post Quench. And it was so hard that it did chip eventually, even given yeah. it's fairly rough uh, very acute, uh, very uh, obtuse edge angle. It still chips, so that means it was very hard.
1: And there are steels that don't require a tempering. Um, mm. If you, if you, I mean, you won't get as good a results as you would with some of you know more advanced steels. But like uh, rebar is a really good example of that. If you're gonna play around with rebar as a beginner and make a little rebar knife or something you can just water quench that and then just leave it yeah pretty much it's pretty good um and what's this is another one um a30 or something a33
0: atlantic 33
1: yeah that that doesn't really need tempering either no
0: it's actually uh, the uh, the product disclosure actually says that you quench it in water and leave it and that's
1: it yeah i'm not sure what sort of rock wall you get out of it
0: no, not sure, but they, they, apparently it's the preferred tool steel for most punches and chisels and stuff. Brett, uh, uh, Brett, Brent Bailey swears by it. And, um, you know, I
1: have to get, try and track me some down. That sounds fun to use.
0: Yeah. It's, I think it's, uh, f- called flutagon as well. I'm not, I'm, that might be two different alloys. I'm not sure, but I'm right. It's, I um, think Bob's with, uh, was talking about it. Um, black bear forge. John Switzer, John Switzer, Bob Switzer. Where the hell did I get Bob from?
1: I don't know. I got
0: Bob on the brain.
1: Hi, Bob. He's getting he's getting tired. The episode's gone too long, so we should wrap it up. Yeah, it's, it was getting late. Well, we will remind you all that there is a new um, Forgecast Challenge, um, Challenge of the Month, and it is to make a hammer of any kind. Doesn't matter, even if it's a twisted brass hammer. Indeed. Uh, so use the hashtag forgecastchallenge and show us what you got. Yeah, please do. And if you'd like to email us with a question or tell us about a dream project, perhaps, or tell us where we can find A33 in (laughs) Australia, Um, send it over to ask.forgecast at gmail.com. And if you're looking for Sam, where can they find him?
0: You can find me at Samtown's Bladesmith on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube,
1: Etsy, Redbubble,
0: Patreon, The Kitchen Sink. You can find
1: Alex. I go by Valhalla Ironworks. and You can find me on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, Etsy, Redbubble, and Patreon. And The Forgecast.
0: And The Forgecast, of
1: course. And with that being said, I can hear the music fading in. We'll, we'll see you next week, you guys. Next week. See ya. Bye, guys.